0: In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from another church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2019 West Freeway Church of Christ Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This one is from 2 Samuel 21, verses 16 and 17, and it reads like this. And one of the sons of Goliath, being girded with a new sword, thought, thought to have slain David, but Abisharah, the son of Zeriah, um, succor, <laughs> difficult word here, um, him and smote the Philistine and killed him. The reason we're using that verse today is this, is here you have an attacker, you know, one of the sons of Goliath that is attacking, uh, David and Abishirah, if I'm saying that wrong uh, correctly, hopefully, he steps in and he's able to kill the Philistine before David is killed, and so that's exactly what happened in this situation. It was an active shooter scenario, and um, our our hero Jack Wilson was able to step in and neutralize that that killer before he could kill any more. <clears throat> so, before we continue, I just want to remind you, you know, to share this video with your team. Um, Go ahead and drop down into the, you know, drop down into the comments and sign up to get the notes. And then use those notes to follow up with your team to talk about the situation and how your church might do a better job at responding. Now, I do want to kind of give a little bit of a disclaimer here, a couple of them. First, we're never blaming the victims here. We're not blaming anyone for how all this went down. You know, when a determined killer enters into a church, things are going to happen. The reason we talk about these is because we want to, I feel like we give those victims more honor by trying to learn from what happened to them so we could do even better in the future. The other thing is this one, is this story has been told and retold and retold about a billion times and all of us are very familiar with this shooting. So what I'm trying to do here is not give you a comprehensive breakdown of the shooting. You know, blow by blow, minute by minute. That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do here is give you a basic summary and then focus on the lessons learned. And in the case of this one, you've probably heard a lot of lessons learned out of this one already. So I'm gonna kind of bring up just some of the highlights of it and then some practical advice that you might wanna start applying. So this, uh, so let's get into this. This is where six seconds make all the difference. Um, it was the last Sunday of 2019, a man wearing a wig, a fake beard, and a long coat walked into the West Freeway Church of Christ in White Settlement, Texas, and sat down near the back. A few peers in front of the man, a woman worked her way to where her husband was sitting. She noticed the strange appearance of the man and became uneasy. Sitting down, she told her husband that something wasn't right. The woman was not, only, uh, was not the only one to notice the man's appearance. Members of the church's security team noticed too and they kept watching him. During the meet and greet time, the man stood up as others do. He briefly, t- he briefly talked to someone and then he leaves. Two minutes later, he re-enters, says something to someone and sits back down. When it was time for communion, the deacons went to the front, picked up the elements, and began serving. The strange man stood up and said something to someone in a window aisle, who then pointed to the middle of the room. The strange man pulled a short shotgun from his coat, fired at the deacon carrying the communion bread, turned back, and fired at a security team member who was drawing his concealed handgun. At the sound of gunfire, many parishioners began ducking for cover and running for exits. Some drew weapons and began looking for the source of gunfire. In the back of the sanctuary, Jack Wilson, a security team leader, had been watching the man. He drew his gun and aimed, waiting for a clear shot. Six seconds after the shotgun was drawn, Wilson fired, downing the man with one shot to the head. So let's talk about this this killer here. he was a homeless person basically. So not all homeless people are dangerous, but some are. Whether one is homeless depends in large part for the reason of their homelessness, of course. Uh, the West Freeway shooter had his roots in white settlement and was homeless because of mental illness. Um, he couldn't hold a job off and often needed help. He did have relatives who lived in the area but could have lived um, and could have lived with one of them but chose not to. Homelessness um, has become a major issue in several American cities, of course. Many of you know this. Um, Those who have worked or studied homelessness conclude that the majority um, causes for homelessness is mental illness, alcoholism, or drug addiction. And churches and faith-based organizations are working to help homeless, of course. Many of them are. All right, so the shooter was not a stranger to the West Freeway Church of Christ. Um, he had come to them for several uh, several times, and they gave him food but not cash. According to the senior pastor, he was angry when he did not get cash. It is uncertain whether this was the motive for the shooting. Uh, the wig and fake beard um, have been um, may have been an attempt, so he wouldn't be recognized since the church knew who he was. Uh, The day of the West Freeway Church of Christ shooting was the anniversary of the death of the shooter's brother. According to a relative of the shooter, the killer, um, he took it really hard since his brother had committed suicide. Um, He did not leave a note or online posting, so we don't know for certain if that's what triggered the attack, even though it's a possibility. Um, some have claimed the man was angered because he didn't get cash. So we don't really know what motivated him. You know, it's mental illness, the anniversary of his brother's suicide, and the church did not give him cash. Now, I don't, we don't know if he had a drug addiction, um, but wanting cash to buy alcohol, to buy drugs, um, is usually, you know, it's not because they want to buy food, they want to buy something they can't normally buy. Um, The the shooter did have um, an arrest record. Most of it was theft, but he also had an arrest for um, arson. And then, um, and I believe too, there was um, um, assault with a deadly weapon. So he had this in the past. And so he, he had this history. So what I want to focus on before I get really farther much further is a couple things that we've already talked about a great deal, but then I want to focus on in on some other things. The first one that I want to focus on is Jack Wilson. Jack Wilson was very well trained and well practiced in using his firearm. If you've seen the videotape, if you've seen the video of this, it was actually a pretty good distance overall. For a handgun use, it was very good distance to have that shot to the head um, was something to be done, especially under extreme stress. And that just didn't happen. Jack trained. He trained, and he trained, and he trained, and he trained. He was ready for that incident. One of the concerning things that I have is there's a lot of people on safety teams throughout the country that you know maybe they shot their weapon when they bought it brand new, maybe they shot their weapon when they got their concealed carry. Uh, you know maybe once or twice in their life they've gone to the range for a fun shoot, but they haven't really developed the skills that muscle memory um, that Jack Wilson had you know had created in himself. You know, I think about when I first joined the military, I was pretty much never fired a gun. And part of becoming an MP included lots of handgun training because, of course, we carry handguns along with our M16s. But anyway, the point is this, is it was very intentional and deliberate learning, teaching, training when I was learning that handgun. And it took... Years, if you will, of training on a regular basis in the military. I mean, I spent a portion of time part of an SRT, which is, um, which is the Army's version of a SWAT team. And I shot thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds to develop that type of skill. Now, since then, after leaving law enforcement especially, I need to get to the range. I know this because it is one of those skills that can, that kind of slowly deteriorates. And so we have to be practicing. We have to be training. And that's absolutely essential. Um, I have, a, you know, saying you have a gun and you're ready doesn't, isn't true until you've been to the range. I guess is what I'm ultimately getting at. Next thing is that we've talked about a lot is guarding the gate. You know, over 75% of all shooting situations at houses of worship start in the parking lot. So that gives us a lot of opportunities to prevent this type of thing of coming into our sanctuary. We have to be watching our parking lots. We have to have a safety posture where the exterior doors are locked and monitored during the services. Um, In this case here, think about what he did. He came in, um, he had his fake beard and stuff, certainly gets the suspicion of people, but the point I want to focus on, I'll get to that in a minute, is he, during the meet and greet time, he left the sanctuary, left the building, and then came back in to the building. Is that when he went out to go get his shotgun? We don't know but possibly that's what he did. And this is not uncommon. There's been plenty of stories where what people will do is they kind of scope out the situation, then they go out to get their gun and they come back in. I like to think that if we had a safety posture and we're monitoring those doors and somebody leaves during that meet and greet time, you have a safety team member there watching them leave and then they go and watch where are they going and now they're coming back. We're paying attention to that. Would they have seen a shotgun get picked up from a bush or behind a tree? We don't know. Or in other cases, opening up their trunk and drawing, getting the weapons out. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. We would have seen that. And with that safety posture, now we're calling 911. We're going into a lockout scenario, full-on lockout. We're getting people to shelter in place, waiting for police to come. And, of course, the safety team is not only monitoring their movements, but are preemptively, strategically planning, placing themselves to be able to stop him from breaking in through one of the doors or that kind of thing. And so we have to really take care of, we have to have those safety postures. We have to have them because they're gonna save lives. Like I said, 75% of them, you'd be locking out 75% of them. That's pretty good. The other thing I wanna bring up is this. Is he was wearing a beard. Here's a policy that all churches need to adopt yesterday. I mean, it's something we have to adopt right away. And that is the same, the same policy that the Mall of America has and a lot of other malls that have security have. And that's this. You cannot have a face covering unless it's a medical mask. So if there were, you know, there's so many ways to say this word, but babaclava is the way I've heard A baklava is another way I've heard the word say. Basically, it's a mask that people pull up, it covers over their nose, across their mouth, and all that kind of stuff. A lot of these malls now have policies that basically say, you need to take that mask off. And then if they say, well, I'm doing it for COVID, fine. You can wear a medical mask that we offer for free, at the Welcome Center, you can go put one of these on. The point is we gotta get that mask off. Same thing with, the same thing with this beard. If you have a policy that simply says listen, you can't come in here with a covered face other than a medical mask, then you know, and then you could say that to that bearded guy that's got the fake beard, you need to take that off. We don't allow that in here. Because they're trying to get anonymity. Now in the mall it's because they wanna start fights and it's because they wanna steal. Well, that can kind of be the same thing for the church, right? They could be coming in because they wanna be a protester and they're gonna stand up in the middle of something to disrupt it, or maybe they wanna steal stuff that's left unsecured throughout the building, and they wanna not get caught on camera. Or in this case, they're concealing their identity because they have violence on the mind. They have an intent for violence. And so we need to say, no, in the church here, you can't have that on. And like I said, have some free, you know, cheap medical masks at the front door, you know, at the welcome center or whatever and say, you got to take that off. But if it's for COVID, you could wear this. One of the things I was told about from a security guard is this, is they, um, they work at the mall. And as all these people are coming in, they have this, they, take it, they tell them to take it off and they'll always claim, well, what about COVID? Well, you can get a mask over there. And guess what they don't do? They don't get a mask. They just take it down, they walk right past those free masks. So it was never about COVID to begin with. But anyway, as long as you have those masks available, you can, it's easier to enforce that kind of policy. So that's the other thing we need to do. So we gotta get to the range. We gotta stop playing with this, we really do. And you know what, I'm preaching to myself. Like I told you, since I've left law enforcement, I haven't been to the range. Um, I've used, these are my excuses. Ammo was way expensive, and I couldn't find it. That's an excuse. Um, and really, it's my fault that I didn't have a pretty big stockpile. Anyway, um, what else has been the excuse? Um, sheepdog Church Security has been an excuse. I mean, we all have excuses, right? But we've got to stop telling those excuses to ourselves. We have to stop telling those excuses to other people, and we need to get to the range. End of story. The other thing I want to focus on is this, is the poor security guard that gave his life in this situation. If you've seen the video, the security guard was probably less than six paces away from the killer. And his training, um, well, I guess I don't know what his training was. But what he did is what we often see in a lot of situations is... What you do is you do what you know in that kind of situation. You're automatically gonna do what you know. If you know nothing, you're gonna stumble through it really bad. If you know a little bit, you're gonna do exactly what you've trained to do. What this poor security uh, team member did is he had a concealed weapon on on the back side of him, you know, kind of in the small of his back, probably a pancake holster of some sort or inside the waistband holster. And what he did is he, when he saw the usher get killed, he kind of went into a kind of, you know, like ready, not quite a ready stance, but kind of, just kind of, you know, adjusted. And he started trying to pull his weapon. Now, the truth of the matter is this. His action is faster than reaction. He had already shot, pulled out his shotgun and shot the usher. He was only seconds away of getting the shotgun blast that killed him. If you have a concealed weapon that's tucked into your pants and the shirt is over the pants and you have not trained and trained and trained and trained and trained to draw that weapon quickly, even if you have, you're not probably going to beat him to the punch. You're not going to beat him to him. All he has to do is go a slight little movement to the left to kill the security team member. That was it. Um, You're not gonna draw your weapon that fast. This is why the next lessons learned here is we absolutely have to train our team members to know when they need to rush the bad guy. We need to add that to our training. It's not always gonna be just stop, get in a good stance, draw your weapon, engage the target. Sometimes you don't have time. If that safety team member would have rushed the bad guy with the shotgun, he still may have been killed. You know, this is one of those woulda, coulda, shoulda, maybes, 2020, hindsight 2020, all that kind of stuff. Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, But if he had some of that training and he would have charged him and started fighting over the shotgun, he may still be alive today. He may be we don't know he may be still alive today and then of course the rest of the team which there seemed to have been a lot of people armed you know you had jack wilson among them bum rush him right i mean they would all j- piled onto him got that shotgun away from them and control them and it would have just been the usher however we could have also saved the usher's life um, by having a policy or at least making him remove the mask safety posture, watching, why did he go outside? Was it to get his nerve up or was it to get a weapon? You know, who was trained to see the indicators? You know, even a sawed-off shotgun underneath a trench coat um, can poke at the sides, either at the top of the weapon or the bottom of the weapon, which is an indicator that they might have a, a rifle of some sort or shotgun in their cloak. But anyway, those are the things, get to the range, safety postures, you know, guarding that gate, watching people's behaviors, training our team for, for other options other than shooting. And, and, you know, I already talked about that. Sometimes it's just better to jump the guy. Um, those, so those are the lessons learned. I hope this kind of helps you to some extent, um, gives you something to think about. Like I said, a lot of us have heard this, you know, a million times and you've probably heard a lot of different perspectives, and that's okay. The idea here is we're challenging each other, we're talking to each other about possible solutions, and hopefully we're all getting better. The other thing I want to leave you with is this, is Jack Wilson had U.S. Law Shield. Now, U.S. Law Shield is a great organization. It's not it's not insurance. Rather, by becoming a member, what you you're essentially doing is you have an attorney on retainer. And so if you're involved in a use of force situation, and this not beyond church, this means the mall, this means the grocery store, it doesn't matter. If you have to use force, you can call their emergency number and you're talking to an attorney. In his case, I believe the attorney showed up before they had even before they even got done processing the crime scene, you know, as law enforcement investigators and all that kind of stuff she showed up before that and she was able to sit down with him and help him and obviously it worked in his favor now it was as clean a shoot as we can get but we've talked in the past how there's going to be an investigation there's going to be a collection of evidence they are the police are going to want to interview you they are building a case to see if a crime has been committed and you're definitely going to want an attorney during this process and even in his case, it was nine months before came, the grand jury came back and said they weren't going to, you know, no charges would be um, pressed on him. But still, you know, we need to have that legal protection. I think U.S. law shield's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think it's better than a lot of the insurance companies, only because insurance companies, their first commitment is to the stakeholders of the insurance company. They're not to you, so if they can find that you violated their contract or you somehow did a policy thing, they're gonna cut you loose. So U.S. Law Shield personal choice there. Other than that, September 11th. So it's the sixth today, September 11th. We're starting our News Academy year. I'm gonna be teaching these courses every week online, and we're doing we got four quarters, so I'm gonna do it four times. We cover each one of the modules, eight modules, and we cover each of them four times between September 11th and our last class is like June 4th, if I remember correctly. Plenty of opportunities for you to jump in and get trained, plenty of opportunities for other people at your church to jump in this and get the training. Um, like I said, lots, lots of opportunity, lots of opportunity to finally get this training done. So I'm going to encourage you to jump in there while there's still time. Um, but even if you start late, four quarters, you're going to, you know, you only need one quarter to finish all this. Not to mention, you also get your self-paced training option. So um, if you don't want to train with me on Sundays, uh, my feelings are not hurt. Um, You can train on your own time, your own computer, exact same videos. You just don't have to put up with my voice. So other than that, thank you so much for being here. If you like this, comment, share, all that good stuff. It really helps the algorithms. I should be mentioning some more names because I'm I'm noticing a lot of you that are commenting on a regular basis. I really appreciate that, and I want to acknowledge that you're doing that. Also, too, I've gotten a number of calls from people that say you regularly share this video with your team you get the show notes and then you you know you chase them down during services and be like hey what'd you think you know and engaging them getting them involved in a conversation other than that thank you for joining us this week and hey let's be careful out there